What's up, everybody? Luke Thomas here on this December 21st, Monday. This is the Monday Morning Analyst. Thank you so much for watching. Um, so today we'll get right down to it. No point in belaboring it. A lot of you guys were upset with a five-minute segment uh, the first time um, without a whole lot of uh, analysis, so I'll skip that right now. Uh, please like, share, or comment. If you enjoyed this video, give it a thumbs up. I'd really appreciate that. Um, today, I know there was a World Series of Fighting event. I heard Lance Palmer got absolutely... Um, jobbed out of a uh, win he deserved, but I didn't see it and I haven't had a chance to watch it. So we're just going to talk about the one that kind of really matters the most here. UFC on Fox 17, uh, Dos Anjos versus Cerrone 2. It's a rematch from a uh, fight from a couple of years ago. Um, a decent event. It did, uh, let's see, 1.71 million at the gate and for an attendance of about 15,000, 14,459. Um, um, really good uh, numbers. They lower the ticket prices for these uh, Fox events to fill them up in these nice venues. So you can actually get some uh, some decent fights and some decent seats. This was a very good card um, for the most part. There's a lot I enjoyed about it. So here's what we're going to do. Let's go down the card. I'm going to skip the main event because we're going to talk about that in the second segment. We're going to break that down with some video slides and some photo slides, and then we'll uh, go into part three. But let's talk about the rest of the card aside the main event. Now, Javier Dos Anjos beats Donald Cerrone uh, at one minute and six seconds into the first round. So let's establish that, and then we'll go to the next part. I'll talk about the main event in the, in the next segment. As for the rest of the card, Alistair Overham defeated Junior Dos Santos at 4.43 of the second round via TKO punches. Um... This fight, there was not a lot of volume to it. There was not necessarily a lot of action to it. There was not a lot that went on. Um, Overeem looked good, I have to be honest. Now, physically, he doesn't look at all as muscular as he used to, and for which you can draw your own conclusions. But maybe no matter what the reasons were that he used to be muscular and now he's not. I mean, he's not, not muscular now, but not to the same extent. I don't know, maybe it's a good thing. Because when that fight was over, he was not breathing hard. And there used to be times where he'd be breathing hard after a round. You go back and you watch the disaster that is uh, Overeem versus Verdum from Strike Force, and you can see pretty early on he's huffing and puffing. That was not the case here. Um, he looked good. He looked mobile. He looked thoughtful. He looked just a little bit more clever than Dos Santos, and I think more than that, you know, we're talking about this fight after the fact. What is the major takeaway? A lot of people asking about whether or not Junior Dos Santos is shot. You know, I don't know the answer to that. There's, I'm not going to say it's inconclusive, but I am going to say I'm going to. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt just a little bit. But what I will say is, number one, I, I do think there is something to that idea. If he's not shot now, he soon will be. Um, and I, it pains me to say it, but you know, the, the accumulated damage, it's not just that he hit all that damage. Remember, this is a guy who had overtrained to the point where he got rhabdomyolysis, you know, um, sick, you know, basically blood poisoning from training too hard. This is a guy who had done a lot to his body over the years. I think it's really beginning to show. And I think more than that, there's just a stagnated offense that you see there. He, he's just trying to land a big punch. You know, he's got good takedown defense. So that's another, another big part of his game. But, you know, if you're not trying to take him down, it's kind of irrelevant. Um, and, you know, he's been getting a little more hesitant as time has gone on. He was a little more hesitant in the Mark Hunt fight um, to an extent. But you're really seeing it now. Like he's not gun-shy exactly, but he's very judicious with his offense. And I don't think that benefits his style. His style is like you gotta, he's got to make people get hurt. He's got to make people panic. And if he can't do that, he can be picked apart with someone like Overeem, who frankly um, has a more diverse striking arsenal. I didn't think Overeem's chin was going to be able to handle the power punching of Dos Santos. But Dos Santos is inaccurate, is not really throwing, is kind of readable given how predictable it is, then course then that wasn't going to work moreover um you know i just you know dos Santos used to be able to take a shot and i don't think overeem hits 
you know, not very hard. I, I'm sure he hits with a ton of bricks, but um, I just thought there was a certain ease with which Dos Santos went down that kind of troubled me. So we'll have to monitor his career, but I, I don't know how much time he's got left in the sport, if I'm being honest. Nate Diaz put on the performance of a lifetime, beating Michael Johnson, unanimous decision, 29-28, 29-28, 29-28 across the board. Story of this fight to me was that four-inch reach advantage. Nate Diaz knows how to box tall. Um, was having a lot of success behind the jab. Much better movement than before. Really good uh, ability to maintain range, maintain real estate, understanding that. You know, uh, Michael Johnson likes it when you can mix up kickboxing with him, you know. Uh, I think it allows him to have better use of his wider array of weapons. It allows him to get inside in ways he likes to do more. And that jab, that pro, that that um, consistent jab of Nate Diaz just made that so hard for him to do. Really, really strong performance. And he looked, Diaz did physically really good too. This was a rejuvenating performance for him. You could tell he has got a bit of a pep in his step. Really enjoyed the way in which his jab was so accurate, so consistent, and the offense he could build behind it. Great, great job. Uh, I can't pronounce her name ever. Carolina Kowalkowicz defeats Ronda Marcos. Um, you know, Marcos has a lot of ability. And you can, you know, the 30-27 scorecard, by the way, uh, Kowalkowicz wins 29-28, 29-28, 30-27. The 30-27 to me does not make a lot of sense. Marcos was very strong early, but kind of faded late. Um, for me, this was a very close one, but I think Marcos was just a little too willing to concede the terms of the offense as the fight went on. Then, of course, kind of fading really late in that third, uh, in the way that she did. Um, not a huge indictment against Marcos, and to me, not the most uplifting performance work for Kowalkowicz, but, uh, something to build off for for the victor there. Charles Oliveira defeated Miles Jury via submission choke at 305 of the very first round. Love this fight. Uh, I think yeah, I'm not going to break it down here uh, with video evidence, but I want you to go back if you get a chance. If you have it on DVR or something, go back and look and look at how far that guillotine is. You can see with the arm that goes underneath Jury's neck, it's so far through that not only can you see the exposed hand of Oliveira, you can see the red tape on his gloves. Like that Joker is all the way through. Um, and, you know, Jury had a curious... Also, there's a thing where you can see where... If someone's standing up straight, you can draw, you know, a line between the back of their head and their back or something, right? You can do that as Jury is bent over. We'll go back and you watch at the peak moment right before he taps. Jury is so bent over this way that you can still draw that straight line. Like, if I go like this, you can't draw that line anymore. But if I go all the way over, all the way, all the way over, it goes like that. Then you can draw that straight line. That's what he had um, in terms of the torque Oliveira did. So there's that, but you know, he's just he's got such an ability where he, he kind of a lot of guys will jump on the guillotine and they'll jump like this, like they'll get it and they'll try and launch hand clasp at the same time. You notice Oliveira doesn't do that. Oliveira drives his hand through, keeps this hand away so you can't hand fight. Just gets this, and so then he just has to lock it up here. He establishes the conditions under the throat first a lot of times before he ever does this, and you'll see that on this one too. He kind of just drives under, drives under, and just waits till he has a second, and then grabs. He doesn't dive at the same time with the grip. Uh, very interesting how he does that. Nate Marquardt taking on CB Dalloway. CB Dalloway looks fine early, and then, um, you know, just surrendered the outside angle and lost. Uh, Valentino Sh uh, Shevchenko defeated Sarah Kaufman. This kind of surprised me a little bit. Um, Shevchenko's uh, strength is phenomenal. Her balance in the clinch was outrageous. I think if this fight had gone five rounds. Kaufman would have won. 
But that's not the fight that she was in. She was in a three-round fight. You got to fight differently. Didn't have a lot of... I mean, it was amazing that she would lock up the clinch, try and throw, and get reversed a lot. I mean, that tells you that the balance of Shevchenko is no joke. Very difficult to do that to someone like Sarah Kaufman. But Kaufman, I thought, had a really strong third round. You know, went for the armbar and missed, but, you know, only because it was just a desperation armbar just to see if she could land something before the final bell. So I didn't think Kaufman looked bad, but Shevchenko has a lot to build off of. Uh, Tam Dan McCrory defeated Josh Saman. What a crazy fight this was at 410 of the third round. A bit of a back and forth, but what you really saw here was, you know, Tam Dan McCrory hasn't just technically refined himself a little bit. My man's filled out. Like, he's a lot thicker than he used to be um, before in his first run. He was a bit of a slender guy, kind of lanky, Cole Millerish the first time. And he's a little bit, I mean, Josh Saman is built like a brick S-house. And he was getting roughhoused here. I think that, to me, the lesson was there wasn't a huge difference necessarily in technical ability. There was some difference, I felt like. But the 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 McCrory has figured out how to use his body for pressure. Now, a lot of times people say pressure passing. What do they mean? Pressure passing is the opposite, to me, of mobile passing. I mean, there's all kinds of passing. You can combine the two, as a matter of fact, in some different ways. But mobile passing might be your Toriando pass. You fake to one side, and you quickly push the hips to the other side by grabbing on their pant legs and going around. That's like a Tor- you know, it was a quick motion pass. Something like that. X- an X pass. These are motion passes. A pressure pass is when you're just on top of a guy, and you slowly flatten them out and establish conditions to just slide position to position. That's what you saw with McCrory. He is a guy who is understanding he's got a uh, he's got strength, he's got size, he's got some technical ability, and he just he just leans on you and wears on you. And man, that is a really hard thing to deal with. If you know if I'm as technical as you are, and maybe we're even the same size, but you've got a really strong passing game from pressure, uh, or even if there's any kind of size disparity. If someone has a good pressure passing game and they understand their size and their bulk, boy, they can do a lot with that. Uh, Nick Lentz defeated Danny Castillo. Split decision. Again, should not have been a uh, split decision. But, uh, yes, I thought Nick Lentz deserved to be the victor there. Nick Lentz looking a lot better at lightweight except for his haircut. Um, I thought just, you know, good, intense pressure the whole time. Again, not not pressure as in grinding on you, but pressure as in constantly walking you down, constantly forcing you into bad spots. Danny Castillo gassing early. Uh, a great Harai. I think it was a Harai Goshi. Some are calling it an Ogaruma, uh, Oshigaruma, but... Um, it looked like a Harai Goshi from the uh, Wizard, right? Nick Lentz had a Wizard. So on the, what he does with the Wizard is he just pulls up on it. This is one thing we mentioned last week. You know, Rose Namajunas didn't really get thrown when Paige Van Zandt tried because Paige Van Zandt kind of had her leg bent. She didn't kick the leg through. There was another key detail there I didn't mention I should mention here. It's a lot easier to throw someone in motion. If I'm just standing still and you're standing still... I've got to get myself into motion to throw you. But if I'm moving and you're moving, well, now you might go over a little bit easier. I can just, if I can direct your weight somewhere, if I can push into you and you push into me, now I can take your motion into me and your weight into me and I can throw it, or whatever the case may be. Uh, so what you saw here was they were in motion from the wizard. And then go back and you watch Nick Lance. He drives that leg through. He kicks it way back. And that's what caused Castillo to go over. It was if he just put his leg up and kind of threw him a little bit with the with the with the wizard with the overhook, eh, it may not have gone so far. But it, it was a phenomenal job by Nick Lentz, um, and you know Castillo for all the heart that he showed. Cole Miller versus Jim Allers ended in a no contest after accidental eye poked. 
Uh, not too much to go into there. Kamaru Usman defeated Leon Edwards. Thought Usman made some nice adjustments. Leon Edwards is a good striker, uh, and Usman really put a, you know is very much a prospect, very green, but was able to make some adjustments in the middle of the fight. For me, that was a big key. Uh, Vicente Luque defeated Haider Hassan via Anaconda Choke. Can't add much to the commentary of what Dominic Cruz had already talked about in terms of what the key to the position is. Anytime you see one of these head and arm chokes, uh, what you're looking for is for one arm to be around the neck. And what you really want to see is uh, an ear and a shoulder together. That's, good, that's really what you want to see. There should be some kind of bunching in that regard. Um, and you really saw that with this choke as well. Uh, I almost had like a, didn't have a gator roll, but from the way he sat to the choke and then rolled through, enabled him to get that kind of position that you would after a gator roll. A gator roll is when you lock up the anaconda and then you peek your head through the space between their hips and their elbow and you shoot through and you come out and then you roll. And that's when you can come on top and finish the choke. Um, so a good job by um, the Brazilian here in recognizing the, the how good, strong it was, sitting through, rolling through, and then getting that dominant position. And again, if you go back and you watch Haider Hassan, look at his posture. It's not like this. It's like this. Because he's got arm around the throat, ear to the shoulder, bang. Uh, and then lastly, Francis uh, Ganu defeats uh, Luis Henrique. Not too much to say about this fight, except Ganu looks like a physical specimen and clearly has monster power. Uh, fighter of the card, very easy for me, going to be Nate Diaz. You could obviously go with Dos defending his title in 66 seconds, but wow, uh, Nate Diaz had a, such a rejuvenating turnaround performance um, with this one. So, you know, what it means for Conor McGregor and everything, we can answer this week on the live chat, but that's the card as such. Um, I give it about a B, B plus, not bad. Fighter of the card again, Nate Diaz. So, let's do this. Let's let's now move into part two. Let's take a very close look at Dos Anjos versus Cerrone. Let's see some of the technical details about what happened to Cerrone, why it happened, um, and maybe there's some parallels we can draw about the sport in general and some of his previous fights. The main event from Saturday, UFC on Fox 17. Uh, UFC lightweight champion Rafael Dos Anjos defending his title against Donald Cerrone. And uh, I wanted to bring up... We'll obviously take a look at the footage from this fight, or at least some of the uh, photo slides from this fight. But when I saw this, I immediately thought of one other fight, and then yet even another fight. So there's actually three fights I want to take a look at, all very briefly, but all kind of tell you something, both about the liver kick generally, um, a lot about Cerrone's maybe susceptibility to it. I don't want to pick on him because he's obviously a very, very elite striker, but it is something that has happened to him a number of times, so we have to kind of take notice of it. Um... But also just about the nature of how some of these things work in MMA. This is really kind of a fascinating, um, I don't know if development's the right word, but certainly the way in which the body kick can work, uh, the way in which the body kick can work against Cerrone in particular, it's just worth inventorying here. So a couple of things I want to start with here. Now, this Fox 5 News at 10, it will bar, will go away here in just a second, so be patient with me. But the first thing I want to mention is the liver kick that... Dos Anjos landed in the main event, winning in just 66 seconds, was the third of three strikes to the body. And it was the third that put him down. What you can see here is, I've kind of stopped it, you can look at the left hand here of Dos Anjos. That's already been ripped to the body. Now, Dos Anjos has made this a potent weapon. You go back and you watch the first round of Dos Anjos versus Pettis. He lands this a number of times. He can throw the left kick and then come over with a left hook immediately following it. He can throw the left to the body right over the top and then clinch or separate. He just has a lot of options from the left and the right side. This body shot goes with a tremendous amount of force. Um, and so 
let's start from that context. The body shot's already been landed. You can see who's got the outside leg dominance there. It's going to be Donald Cerrone. So I'm going to play this. This is not... Um, I recorded kind of ghetto on my camera phone of my television because this was really... I, I got some ones online, but this was just the best angle. So just pay attention here. He's got lead foot dominance. That doesn't matter so much exactly, except it did open a lane for that body shot. Cerrone kind of bent over. What's next going to happen to me is kind of fascinating. You're going to see that he, Cerrone, excuse me, uh, Dos Anjos moving in here. What's he going to want to do? He's going to want to establish double underhooks, right? And you'll see him move his right hand here, sliding underneath that left arm of Cerrone. He does it all very quickly, and this is in super-duper slow-mo. You can see it's just frame by frame here. Cerrone's going to reach around. It's not merely that the Dos Anjos is getting double underhooks, but he's going to lift him up. You can see the lifting motion here. A little bit more exaggerated on that right side. You can see the hips of uh, Dos Anjos kind of faded out to open to a left side. That's going to make digging that left underhook um, a little bit more difficult. But you can see he's got the inside space there just enough to land a shot. Here he is bringing his left hips back, kind of loading them up, planting his feet, turning as he drives the left kind of bringing Cerrone into him. You see Cerrone's back foot coming forward. That's partly because you see Dos Anjos, you know, drive him into him. You know, bring your leg in as you bring your opponent forward, both meet in the middle. Creates the most amount of force. But to me, this is where everything got real bad. That body shot hurt him. But I want to take a look at Cerrone's face when they separate here. And this is just amazing. You can see Dos Anjos off clinch breaks can do so much. Look at Cerrone's face. Boy, he is not doing too well here, huh? I mean, just you can tell he's just feeling it, trying to hide it. Look at how tense his abs are. You can see across his chest, he's kind of straining to get his back up straight, but he's kind of hunched over because it hurts so bad. Now, he's kind of tough. He recovers, but look how low his hands are. To me, this is like the beginning of the end. I want to make a note. The, the Fox broadcast caught this after the fact, and they noted it, but it really is worth taking inventory of. Um, Dos Anjos and... What you'll see in just a second, another competitor, they're really good about getting Don Cerrone to worry about their boxing and then changing up their boxing as it relates to where they were going previously. In other words, a lot of guys start with Cerrone by attacking his head with boxing, combinations in and out at angles. They get Cerrone's hands coming up and then they begin to vary it. And once they begin to vary it, it becomes extremely hard to read. They all kind of start with headshots and then they change. Now, there's another fight where this happens to Don Cerrone, which I'm going to get to in just a second, but I want to start somewhere differently. By the way, let's watch that uh, finishing kick here. You can see this is where um, Dos Anjos is going to basically light up the beginning of the end here. A couple things to note here, just very briefly. Foot positioning is kind of hard to read here because of the, the graphics on the screen, but it should be noted. Um, one thing I noticed about Cerrone is he kind of faces forward a little bit with his movement. Now, he's doing it in a much more exaggerated way because he's hurt. But there's one thing very interesting about Don Cerrone. He has a staggered stance, but he doesn't quite lean. I mean, let's talk about like someone like Gunnar Nelson, right? He would lean all the way to the side where he can get those side kicks going, or like a Justin Scoggins type. This is almost the reverse of that, where they, he's almost facing you forward um, rather than having a bit of an angle with his hips. You know, I, I'm not exactly sure what the reasons for that are, but it's certainly for you know people who can operate from the southpaw position, like Pettis could, uh, and certainly like the, you know Dos Anjos can. It just makes an, a, a nasty lane for the kicks, and so you can see what's interesting. Remember, we go back and you, what you describe, and we'll show this in a little more detail. But what you can describe is 
They get them going with the hands up top. They begin to vary it. And then when they land something to the body, they really begin to vary it. And so you can see here the kick to the body. Boy, that is nasty, huh? Uh, right on the money. And you're going to pay attention to what Cerrone's doing here. The left leg's come up. He's kind of extended out a lot of the times. This will be a very, very, excuse me, very familiar pose in just a second. But before we go to this, the, the, the uh, and I'll just mention it, it's the Cerrone versus Pettis fight. I want to go to another fight because I want to talk about some of the body shot stuff we're seeing in MMA. So I want to talk about um, Leona Bachita versus um, CB Dalloway here. This was a very interesting fight to me. Because if you look up a lot of liver kick setups, if you've ever been taught the liver kick setups, people are very... And what, what do you want to say? Uh, diligent, uh, consistent about making sure that you set it up, you know, to get the elbow exposed, get in, you know, get their elbow, get the right elbow away from their body. And there's ways to do that. You know, you throw a a, a combination leg and a hook, you know, leg kick, and then uh, and then a left hook. Get the hand raise, and then instead of going with the left hook, you you change and you go to the body. I mean, there's a thousand different ways to set one of these up, but. I just want to point out in MMA, it often doesn't require that. Now, Lyoto Machida is a special case because he's so um, precise with everything. His timing is great. The technique is phenomenal. Um, and he can just see little tiny openings without having to do a whole lot. This is one of those cases. And this is important to understand because it's going to show us something in that Cerrone Pettis fight that I think is just worth acknowledging. So here they are. Look, if you go back and you watch this fight, yes, it's very early into it, and Dalloway gets finished very early. Dalloway's doing a lot of the right things, putting a lot of pressure on him, circling away from the power side of Machida. You know, he's he, he keeping busy himself, uh, battering the inside leg of Machida. Machida in this fight only throws one kick prior to drilling Dalloway, an inside leg kick. That, that's it, really. So let's watch what happens here. You know, you have Dalloway kind of circling out. Machida, look at his eyes, just perfect, right? Ready to do what he has to do, and you got and you have interestingly Dalloway orbiting Machida, which I think is always of note. So here he comes around the corner. You can see where he's going. He's going this direction. He's going clockwise around Machida, which is fine, you know. Here he comes again. Now watch something here. Go back here. You can kind of see it here. Look at the space here, right? Now watch this. Boy, look at that, huh? What's interesting to me is he's kind of leaning over as he circles out, and that's moving the elbow away from the body. Now, he's still protected, right? The hand's kind of close to the face. The, the elbow's not far from the ribs. I mean, it's a little loose, but it's not like tremendously loose. He's not, you know, his arms aren't out to the side or something. He hasn't cocked back and, and chambered a punch or, a, you know, um, like a Tebow throw. It's not elbow way outside. It's just a little bit as he, as he circles he kind of gets that gangster lean going, right? And you can kind of see, you know, he plants his feet here. It's not as much, but Machido says, ooh, boy, that's nice. Now go back before. You can see the whole fight up to this point, Dalloway's trying to get lead foot dominance. But as he circles, bang, Machida takes a step out as Dalloway paws with his jab to maybe get a sense of um, Machida's where he's at distance-wise, how he reacts to it, just planted his feet for a moment just to feel out there for any kind of variety of purposes, and that was just the little window that Machida needed to do that. And look at the lead foot dominance there. 
you you know I, I, again when you have two people opposite stands, lead foot dominance or you know, is going to be huge for kicks and punches. But I just want to make a note here. How did this kick happen? It wasn't like Machida had blitzed him up top with the hands and got his hands up there and then quickly threw it in quick succession. A lot of people teach the liver kick like that, not because it's wrong, but because they often feel like to get the lane you need open, you got to really get someone busy and someone looking. Someone like Machida can find that lane without much setup. Bang. Got the elbow drifting away from the body as he was leaning, circling out. Found the moment in time where he kind of stopped that, yet kept his posture. Machida takes the outside angle and throws. And just crushes him here. After this, the fight was stopped, I think, within a matter of seconds. He just pounced on him because Dalloway couldn't hide the pain. So, how does this all relate? Cerrone versus Pettis. I mean, when I saw Pettis versus Dos Anjos, excuse me, when I saw Cerrone versus Dos Anjos, the first thing I thought of was, man... This reminded me a lot of Pettis versus Cerrone. So I went back and I watched Pettis Cerrone. Here we are at three minutes into the first round. This fight also stopped in the first round due to body shots. Um, keep that in mind. Pettis' approach is a lot different. Pettis winds up opening the fight, throwing right hooks to take an angle. So throws the right hook, gets Cerrone's hands up, takes the angle, and then would fire a left down the straight and then another right hook. So when you see it, he doesn't just throw a right hook and stay in space. He throws that right hook, then shifts outward in the pocket, throws the left, and then throws the right, and then backs out again. He had thrown you know, a cartwheel kick, and he had thrown some other stuff, some knees, some flying knees, but really what had happened was he had set up a lot of stuff with his boxing. So we move along. You can see Cerrone. I want you to pay attention to Cerrone's hands. You, you, you know, we, we talked about in Dalloway, just fading one direction kind of opened his elbow a little bit, right? You'll see with Cerrone, man, he keeps his hands really busy, but I mentioned before, see how Cerrone again kind of faces forward with his trunk, with his with his with his torso, yeah. I think personally, I feel like that kind of creates a lane. Obviously, you know, Cerrone is uh, uh, a, a hugely fantastic decorated striker, but against someone like you know Pettis and Dos Anjos, I feel like they can take advantage of that. So we're talking about a very elite level. And you also mentioned before, if Dalloway can be chewed up just by fading his elbow out, you know, we all know Cerrone keeps his hands moving. Cerrone is very long and lean. He's got a lot of distance to cover to protect both his chin and his ribs. That's very, very difficult for him. You know, he's got long arms, but you can see if you want to have really tight protection, that's going to be a struggle for Don Cerrone, especially for someone like him who's got a little bit more of a tie base style, likes to get in the rhythm, likes to keep his hands moving, likes to keep just the volume going. That's when he really begins to tear people apart. Wasn't afforded a lot of opportunities to do that here. So now they're circling, and just watch Cerrone's hands, how they move so much. Look at this. We haven't even changed seconds. 258, still 258, and you can see just how wide open he is here. Now, we're not going to see a kick right at this moment, but just to show you that, like, if you can get his, you know, his hands are already in motion, if you can get him to just commit to one side, he'll do it, and then there's massive space left. So, 257, they're, they're circling. This is where it comes. What you wind up seeing is you see Pettis take two steps back, Cerrone follows one step forward, Pettis takes a step forward, and then throws this kick. And again, look at that. That looks very, very similar, does it not, to what you saw with Dos Anjos and Cerrone? The left leg of Cerrone is not in the air, but has him bent over leaning because it looks like he might be expecting a head kick. Remember, he was attacking the head a lot before with the hands, had thrown to the legs, hadn't thrown upstairs just yet. Boom, the body kick. One thing to know about this body kick, this one doesn't quite do the job. You'll see one on the next. Actually, I'll save that point to the next one. So here he lands, crushing body shot. And what's interesting to know about this, this is a different angle from 230. Uh, actually, this is one later, I'm sorry. 
256 crushes him here. This is the one that closes the show. Look at Cerrone again. Hips kind of facing forward a little bit. It's his style. It's what he likes. Look at the hands. Kind of low. Now, he's hurt already by this point. That body shot here did a huge number on him. Okay? So we move to here. Cerrone just sees it. Now, his hands are kind of low here, but Cerrone's probably thinking, okay, uh, I'm hurting a lot here. My head is totally unprotected. I got my ribs covered, but if I don't do something, he's going to nail both. So he just guesses here. And it comes up. Now, what's interesting is you can even see, go back, you can see right here, Cerrone even gets a piece of it. Look again. Left leg coming up. Does this not look identical to what you saw with Dos Anjos and Cerrone? Left leg comes up. That inside arm tries to cover a little bit, and you'll see it actually gets through. Look, it actually hits the knee a little bit. But the force of the kick from Pettis is so hard, it just pushes past and through the blocking arm of Cerrone. And you can see here, look, you can see the arm here. Look, stops it a little bit. Doesn't matter. Bang. Crushes him. Look at this. Is that not identical to the picture from Dos Anjos versus Cerrone? Identical. Identical. Gets him thinking that things are going to go upstairs. Tricks him with it. Throws to the body. Even though he knows the body's hurt, the head's unprotected. Doesn't want to get caught upstairs. Kind of winds up leaning and pushing his hands out at the same time. Doing whatever he can to block or slow down that throw. Not mattering anyway. going through. Look at this. Is that... They're, I mean, they're identical. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Now, he didn't get as much of a block on this one as he did with this one. This one, he got a little bit more on it. But, of course, he'd already been drilled by this point. So, to me, the, the lesson of the story here is there's a couple different angles. And it's a lot about... I guess what I want to say is this one on Cerrone... It looks like Cerrone has a bit of a susceptibility to this kind of thing, like I mentioned before. Long torso... Very hard for him to protect everything he has to protect. He can't quite get down there as much. Maybe he just doesn't take body shots as well. I don't know. Uh, obviously, you know we know he's supremely tough, but you know some people's body's composition, whether your mind quits or not, just you know um, different levels uh, that that it can take. So there's partly that, but I really think it's just a real estate issue more than anything. The guy has so much space to cover um, that it becomes a very big deal for him. And and Cerrone's hands are kind of always moving. They're not really. You know, again, because that caters to his offense. They don't really have the discipline to stick down. But if you go back to that, this fight here, Machida versus Dalloway, the elbow begins to open. Look how open that elbow. You don't need a lot of space to get lit up in MMA like this. You just don't. You don't have the same, you know, you can't, the boxing glove, if you want to keep your elbow disciplined to your to your side and use your boxing glove to cover your hand, you can be more rigid with your defense. But with these small gloves, you kind of got to pick your poison. Which one? Which way do you want to go? You want to protect your chin? You want to protect your elbow? And they're going to force you to pick. And elite guys like this are just going to find the right time. See, look at Dalloway. Dalloway thinks it's coming upstairs. Look where Dalloway's hands are. Dalloway thinks that's coming up, up, up top. And it's not. It comes right up the middle. Right up the gut. Bang. Pettis too. Pettis said this time, you can see the marks on Cerrone's face. He'd be getting chewed up with the hands a little bit. You go back. Cerrone putting his hands out to stop what he thinks might be a head kick. The hand near his chin eats a shot. Look at the hand up. And you'll see when you go back in time, you can see what you say, well, he's, you know, he's blocking the body shot here. But what you really see him doing is kind of bringing his hand to his chin and then rolling with it as best he can to kind of absorb the blow. In other words, like 
I'm going to put my hand around my face as an insurance policy. That's where I think I'm going. I'm going to try and not move my arm too far from my rib, but he has to give a little bit because it's just too hard to be defensively, defensively um, as responsible as you need to be when you have a long torso like that, and Pettis makes him pay. And then again, you go back to this. He's already hurt, kind of facing forward. Look at that. He's almost got like this uh, Koji Oishi versus Nick Diaz stance. You know, kind of just uh, almost like a um, Kakuno stance a little bit. Same, same thing. It's amazing. Just a little bit more blocking here, but again, he'd already taken a worse shot before. Brings it up. right across, I mean, and, 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 and note that the body kick is not along the belt line. You know, it's not a, a stomach, it's not a shot across the belly. You're kind of, when you drive a liver kick, you're kind of driving up the gut, up the ribs to like push the ribs together on one side if you could. Like you want to make a, you want to make a, a row of IHOP pancakes. Just stack them all together like that, right? Um, and that's what you got here. It's just, a, it's just amazing to me. Look at that. Anyway, kind of belaboring the point here. But the long story short is they hurt him early to the body. They get the angle that they need on him. They get the angle that they need on him. Cerrone has too much real estate to cover, both his hands and his elbows, especially the way he wants to get his own style of offense going. And then they just time it. They don't need a lot of space. They trick him to figure out, you know, they, they trick him to make him think about where it's going to go. Even if they block a little bit like they did in this case, you know, it just sneaks through and crushes him. And in this particular case, Cerrone, look, no, no protection around the head. Probably thinks it might be coming up there a little bit. Hands extended. Can do nothing. Can't really block it properly. And that, folks, is an amazing, amazing job, I have to say, um, by our pal, Rafael Dos Anjos. Okay, quickly, so part three. The year is basically over. I don't really have a whole lot to add. One more quick note about what we saw there in the technique breakdown to an extent. Just want to show you, if you, if you research a lot of liver kick setups, they involve... Right in t- a close succession, throw a left hook, throw a body shot, then follow with a left kick to the liver. Really in this tight window, throw a bunch of strikes to get an, an immediate reaction. Whereas I think in MMA you see a lot of times, you know, uh, for a variety of different reasons. One, because the defense is harder with the smaller gloves, it's harder to be defensively responsible. Maybe guys aren't as good technically um, with defense. I think that's a big problem too. You know, in, in kickboxing you have really tiny windows. But I just it's interesting to me that in MMA, if you can just establish general conditions, because defense is so much harder than it is to launch effective offense. I mean, it's a, MMA is much more an offensive sport than it is a defensive sport. Um, you know, you can you can land these liver kicks just one strike at a time. You don't have to do a whole lot necessarily before or after in that close tiny window. It's not punch kick punch punch liver shot. It's just wait 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 liver shot. You get a lot of that in MMA that you don't necessarily get in kickboxing, again, for a variety of different reasons, understandable reasons. And again, you know, all the credit in the world to Dos Anjos. I mean, Cerrone had a hell of a run there with all that huge win streak. But, man, um, you know, I don't know if there's – I don't want to say it's the blueprints when we're on Don Cerrone because I think he's so tough. And he has legitimately gotten better. You can watch his movement um, in the Dos Anjos fight versus his movement, even for that short 66-second window versus the movement in the Pettis fight, and he just looks less stiff, looks a lot more fluid, looks a lot more mobile. So, you know, I would never count out Donald Cerrone. I think he's a phenomenal competitor, and we'll see where he goes. Um, Okay, so that's it. 2015 is over. And it's taken me a very long time to to get this podcast to figure out what I wanted to do with it. You guys have been a big contributor, so I think it's going to look a lot like this. Talk about the fights early, break down one in between, 
and then we'll look to the fights ahead. The next big fight on the calendar is going to be January 2nd, UFC 195. And let's see, I got the fight card pulled up for that. Lawler versus Condit. This is going to be the MGM Grand Garden Arena. That should be fun. Uh, main event, again, Lawler versus Condit for the welterweight title. Then you're going to have Miocic versus Arlovsky. That's fun. Gastelum versus Noak. An important fight. Doesn't blow my skirt up, but it's interesting. Uh, very fun fight. Albert Tumanov versus Lorenz Larkin. Wow, that's going to be crazy. Uh, Diego Brandau versus Brian Ortega. Another fun fight. Uh, on the preliminary card, the return of Michael McDonald versus Masanori Kanahara. It's a fun little test for McDonald there. Uh, Justine Kish taking on Nina Ansaroff. Drew Dober versus Scott Holtzman. Uh, Abel Trujillo versus Tony Sims. Then we move to the fight pass portion of the card. Dustin Poirier versus Joe Duffy. Hello. Uh, Joe Soto versus Michinori uh, Tanaka. And then Edgar Garcia versus Sheldon Westcott. So um, an interesting card. A couple of dark spots here and there, but basically a really decent card. And especially now that you have Poirier versus Duffy on the prelims, or the Fight Pass portion of the prelims, um, if you're a Fight Pass subscriber, that's uh, a little bit of bang for your buck there. Okay, so all I have to say left, that's it, is thank you so much for watching this podcast. Um, I had two back-to-back episodes over 100,000 views on YouTube. I, I can't be more grateful than I am. I'm just so humbled and uh, uh, honored you guys would watch this. And I'm slowly, hopefully, figuring out how to make this podcast better. So if you've ever watched any of this, if you're watching this one now, thank you. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. I, I can't say how much I appreciate it. Um, you make it all worthwhile. Okay? So have a good Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever it is you celebrate or don't. But just be safe over the holidays. Uh, enjoy your time with friends and family. Enjoy your time away from work to the extent that you get it. And uh, I will see you guys with this podcast in 2016, 2015. What a year. Crazy. Until next time, guys. Enjoy the fights. <laughs>